and welcome to The Northern Connection, a podcast all about books. In each episode, we chat to authors about their books, their inspirations and their own Northern Connections. This episode is hosted by Jules, Rebecca and myself, Emma, and we catch up with writer Trevor Wood to talk about his latest book, You Can Run. lived in Newcastle for 25 years and considers himself an adopted Geordie. He's a successful playwright and has also worked as a journalist and served in the Royal Navy for 16 years. Trevor holds an MA in creative writing crime fiction from UEA. The Man on the Street was his first novel and his new standalone novel, You Can Run, a thriller, is available now and published by Quercus. So, hi Trevor, and welcome to The Northern Connection. Please, can you tell us a little bit about your latest book, You Can Run? I can, yes. Um, You Can Run is uh, about a group of armed men who hold a remote Northumberland village at siege looking for a 15-year-old girl. Um, No one really knows why. They think it's going to be an easy job, but they've severely underestimated the elderly villagers who don't take kindly to incomers. Um, As one of the villagers says, we've fought off the Vikings, we've fought off the Romans, and we've fought off the Picts, and we can see these buggers off too. Uh, It's been described um, as the Thursday Murder Club meets Reservoir Dogs. Mostly by me, admittedly, but, you know, it's a nice nice summary, I think. I think that's a good mixture, like... (laughs) Um, so could you tell us where the idea for the book came from? Yeah, it was a bit of a mashup, really. I, I'd got, um, I, I got two two-book deals, in effect, but I'd written a series that was only ever going to be three books. So I, when I'd finished the third one, I, I pretty much had to write a standalone, really. I didn't want to start a series with only a, another one-book deal. So it took me quite a while to come up with something. Um, but I, I started to get this idea about a youngish child seeing a kind of previously quiet, restrained parent commit some horrible act of violence, which is pretty bizarre, really. I kind of woke up with it in my head thinking that is odd, but I wanted to know what happened. So I thought I'll just sit down and write this and see where it goes. And, and I'm not a planner, so so that's kind of my process anyway. So I just started writing. Um, I had no clue what was going on, why why things were happening, um, but it started to come together really quickly. And I wanted to write because I'd finished a series. I wanted to write a real kind of fast-paced page turner with very short chapters and lots of incident. Uh, and I just kept going really. And I and I had to kind of pitch it to my publisher because my deal was for the third book of the series and another book. So I couldn't just give them anything. So I had to pitch it, but I don't plan. So I can't write a synopsis or anything. So I just sent her the first 10,000 words. And I think within about a day, she said, yeah, just write this. This will be great. Um, and off we went. And then I started to add other stuff in. So I, I, I was getting a bit concerned about abuse of power and politicians getting away almost quite literally with murder in things like with, with like the PPE equipment and stuff was driving me crazy that nobody was being held responsible. So I wanted to bring somebody to account in a book. So that filtered in. I've also got a bit of a thing in my head about second homes, killing off villages. Um, 
So that's in there as well. I kind of threw the kitchen sink at it after that. Very political. Yeah, I'm, I am quite political, so, and my books tend to reflect that. I think. So, are you are you generally not a planner at all? Then, or was it just this book? No, I don't. I don't plan right. at all. I have no clue what's happening um, until about two thirds of the way through a book, and then it all kind of starts to to come together somehow. Brilliant. So far, so far, yeah. touch wood. <laughs> What first got you interested in writing thrillers and crime? Oh, God. I'm, I'm quite old. That's quite a long story. Um, We've got time. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, before I started writing crime novels, I wrote for the theatre for about a dozen years, 12, 13 years. I, I was in the Navy for 16 years. And when I left, I retrained as a journalist. And one of the guys I was on the journalism course with kept nagging away at me for years to say we should write something and I, I still have no idea why he thought we'd be able to do anything he'd always been trying to get into creative writing but had never really made much progress um and then one year I said yeah okay let's give it a go and we decided to write a play uh and within five months that was on stage in one of the northeast theaters and we ended up writing about a dozen plays um some of which have toured all over the world but they're all pretty much comedy plays a couple of political things in there but mostly comedy and after about 12 years of that, it started to get harder and harder to get plays on um, for various reasons. And I thought, well, now, I, now I've learned how to write. Maybe I could write that book that I've always thought I'd like to, to have a go at. And I'd always been a crime reader since I was a kid. I, I blame Enid Blyton mainly, I think. She's like the gateway drug to crime fiction for kids, I think. Um, so I read tons of Enid Blyton when I was a kid. I kind of then move through the gears, Agatha Christie, like most people do. Um, and from then on, I pretty much read crime continuously. So if I was going to write a book, it was probably always going to be a crime book. Um, so that's kind of why crime. And and I, I, I was lucky that as I was kind of working on a book, the uh, UEA decided to start a crime writing MA for the first time. They've done loads of um, literary MAs, but they decided to specialize and it was just at the time when I had a bit of space and I thought I could actually do this. It's only um, a three day residential three times a year for two years and the rest is online. So even though it's in Norwich, I thought I can do that. That's quite easy. Um, and it was a fantastic course. And that's where I developed the man on the street. And I was on the course with Harriet Tice, who developed Blood Orange sitting right next to me and Kate Simance, who's now got four. I mean, most of us are now published. It was a brilliant course. So it all came from all of that. Sorry, that's a really long answer. Anna. No, that's fine. Is it uh, Kate's book? Is that Freeze? Yeah, yeah, Freeze is her latest book. Yeah, we did it. We had a lovely joint launch in um, London a few months back because um, we were both first published. My first two books both came out in lockdown. Mm. So I, I had things in Newcastle I managed to get away with doing in the windows that were available to me. Um, but we'd never had the chance to do something together. So we, we managed to do it at Goldsboro Books in London, which was really nice. And Harriet was our kind of host. Aww. So it was like a, oh, a reunion. Yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah, that's fab. Um, so you've mentioned where your inspiration from You Can Run came from in that it was sort of like a dream you woke up with. Um, where does Where did the inspiration for A Man on the Street come from? Um, well, it's like like most things with me. It's it's from real life, really. I kind of started. I was out with a, a an ex cop actually, 
um, who is who is a friend. I met him on a writing course, strangely. Um, but we were out one night having a few beers and we wandered past a homeless guy and I dropped a couple of quid in his cup. And and this guy was like, why are you doing that? He'll just spend it on drugs. And I thought, well, maybe. <laughs> but if he does, if I was him, would I spend it on drugs? Probably I would, actually. I'd spend it on anything that would get me through the night, yeah. frankly. Um, so I started to think about how the, the, the homeless are demonised and and wanted to do something about that. So I, I decided to write a book where the homeless guy was the protagonist, if you like, the hero. Um, and when I started to do the research, I realised that, that very roughly figures change, but about 10% of the homeless are considered to be ex-servicemen. Mm. So as an ex-serviceman, I had an interest in that. I started volunteering at a, a homeless kitchen um, where I still work every Tuesday afternoon cooking a storm for 300 people, uh, which is a lot of work, but it gets me out of my office and off my arse for a few hours once a week, which is nice. So all of that coming together, I, I realised that I could probably humanise the people that get demonised. So the man on the street stuff all came from, from that kind of very first conversation and then just starting to get immersed a bit in the subject um, and learning a lot more about PTSD, um, which is the thing that mostly affects the ex-servicemen that end up on the street. Um, so all of that stuff all came together in the book, really, which I thought was a standalone, but my publishers um, were completely convinced that people wanted to see the characters a bit more. So I found a way of making it three books, but but I wouldn't do any more than that because I I just thought it would get ridiculous. I didn't want it to lose its 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 genuineness, if you like. I thought. You know, people will st stop believing in it if my homeless character keeps tripping over bodies and solving murders that <laughs> the police aren't interested in it. So I had to stand quite firm on that. They were quite keen for some more, but but I think it's you know it's good to end something on a high note. I think. Yeah, well, that's um, it's quite fascinating actually listening to you talking about that in the sense of obviously the job that I do um, yeah. because I when you actually take the time to speak to people who are homeless or alcoholics or drug addicts a lot of those people have got an incredibly sad story yeah, led absolutely. them to where they are and, and but people are so easy to judge yeah i mean nobody chooses that nobody grows up wanting to be homeless it's not it's not like a career option or some people seem to actually think it is mm -hmm. yeah that's palpably nonsense um so yeah it, i think it's important and some of the best reviews that I've had, whether they're about the book or not, have just been where people have said, since I've read the book, I stop and talk to people now. I don't just walk past them. And that my work is done, frankly. That's better than any five-star review, I think. Definitely. Um, so we were just chatting before we started recording about Harrogate and things oh, yeah. coming up. Um, so look forward to seeing you there. Um, but I understand you've recently just returned from Shetland Noir, and I don't think yeah. there's, there'll be a, many people who've been to that. So can you tell us what that were like? Yeah, it was great. Um, amazingly warm as well. I was told to take jumpers and you know, wrap up. I spent the whole time in a t-shirt. They reckon they'd never had weather like it. It's where my tan kind of started, <laughs> um, which is so bizarre. Um, yeah, well, I read about it, um, I don't know, only about six months ago, probably. And I know, I mean, fortunately, living in the Northeast, we have a lot of crime writers up here. And I know Anne Cleves pretty well. 
and I was doing um, an event in a bookshop with her and I mentioned it and she said, oh, you should come because she's she kind of mm. puts the thing together. Um, uh, and it was as simple as that, really. And I thought, well, you know, I'm probably never going to go to Shetland normally. What a lovely place for a festival. I went to Iceland last year for similar reasons, really. It's like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, I didn't know what to expect, but I knew there were some big names going. I know Ellie Griffiths has the same editor as me. So I know Ellie pretty well, and she was going. Val McDermott was going. Richard Osman was on the bill, although he never made it because his plane got cancelled. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really good bill. The audience, it was in a big theatre. The audiences were fantastic. They were, you know, quite big audiences, which again surprised me. And people came from all over the place. So there were quite a few Americans and Canadians there. Um, so I had a great time. And they gave us a tour of the island on the first afternoon with a, a local writer who knew the place really well. Uh, so it was a real treat. And it's not that hard to get to from Newcastle. The flight's only about an hour and a half from Edinburgh, um, and I can get to Edinburgh pretty quickly. So I, I was, I, I was saying um, to my wife, I'd be home quite late on the Sunday, and I actually got a plane at four thirty from Shetland, and I was home at quarter past eight, which wow. is quite incredible. Yeah, I was amazed. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, I, I'd really recommend it. It's lovely. You know, it's a place you'll probably never go otherwise. You may as well go when there's some crime writers there to go and see as well yeah. so was that, um was that tour of the island only for vips like you no, said? No, <laughs> VIPs. <laughs> yeah no um they did the the thursday one that i did was mostly for the writers who were doing it and a few other people because there wouldn't have been any time otherwise um uh but they did another tour on the monday for anybody else who wanted it so ticket orders and, and stuff so yeah so yeah, you can get the tour as well. Might have to get that. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd be a VIP anyway, probably. <laughs> but it was lovely, and they they did some really cool things. So I did a panel, um, which was pretty standard. But I did a, a thing they called speed dating with. Um, I don't know if you've you've um, met Louise Mangos. No. Who's also a UEA graduate um, who lives in Switzerland, but she'd come over for it, and they teamed us up. And they basically had like about a dozen tables full of readers with about six or eight on each table. And you had two minutes to pitch your book to them and then move on to the next table and do it again and do it again. Kind of lost my voice by the end. It was, it's why I can pitch You Can Run quite well now because it's, I've done it so many times there. Uh, and that was great fun. And I actually sold quite a few books at the end of it. So you know, I'd do that again. It was good. Sounds great. Yeah, they had some good ideas. Um, are you able to tell us what you're working on next? Uh, I can a bit, yeah. I've, I've just signed a new two-book deal for a the start of a new series, which is actually going to be a police procedural, which I never thought I would do. Um, I didn't think it was really my thing. I'm still not sure it's my thing, even though I've almost written 80,000 words of it. Um, sadly, my, my cop friend is a bit busy at the moment with aging relatives and the usual kind of thing that takes up people's time. So I haven't been able to run a lot of it by him and I really need him to have a look at it quite soon, <laughs> I think. Um, but again, I do like to write kind of issue based stuff. So the, the issue this time is that my, my cop has all the markers of early onset dementia. Uh, he hasn't, the process hasn't started yet, but he's had a scan and he has um, he has both the proteins and the um, alkaloid uh, 
marker that says you are pretty much going to get it sometime in the next five to ten years. So it's almost like he's got this time bomb hanging over him. And it's hereditary. His father had the same thing. Um, but he doesn't want to tell anyone. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to lose his job. Um, he's terrified about how he might end up treating his wife because he saw what his father was like when he had it. So he's got this horrible thing in the background that is 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 overwhelming him almost mm. um so we'll see where that goes it's not it's a difficult subject area i think yeah. but I've, I've been in i won't say enjoying the research but it's been fascinating and i've recently um uh, by pure fortune actually i can plug it here now um on the sunday at harrogate just by pure coincidence alzheimer's research uk have a sponsored walk to raise money for Alzheimer's research. And um, so I'm doing that on a Sunday morning while I'm in Harrogate. It's in it's in the park. It's only five K Jules. It's not Oh I might join in. Yeah. It's um I, and I signed up for it uh, and then put something out a few weeks ago and I've raised nearly a thousand quid already. Oh, so that's brilliant. And because of that, Alzheimer's research got in touch with me. Uh, and I've had a meeting with them and I'm gonna get to walk around a couple of labs and uh, and possibly meet some people who've got early onset as well to have a proper conversation with them but the research is fascinating it's such a horrible disease um and you know when you get to my age and your memory starts to fade a little bit anyway yeah there's always this constant fear that at some point that might be you i think mm. so i'm kind of playing around with that a little bit to reassure myself i guess yeah that's great yeah we'll see we'll see it's the hardest one to write i think so far yeah. without doubt is that set in the northeast? It is, yeah, yeah. I, I, all my books will be set in the northeast, and unless something, I don't know, very strange happens. Yeah. People are always asking me where I, I. There is a very small part of me that would consider setting a book in Canada. My my daughter lives in Vancouver. I've spent a lot of time out there, both before she went out there and since, even more since, obviously. So I, uh, maybe, maybe, but I can't see, not, not in the near future. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you say that you're a, you're a big crime reader. Uh, what are you currently reading? <laughs> I read a lot um, and I've just been on holiday. So I've read a ton of books in the last week or so. Um, I try, I, I get so many proofs um, and, I, and I, I'm not great at saying no, um, particularly if it's friends. And I also always say yes to debuts because I know how hard it is and I like to help them. So I tend to read a lot of stuff that I have to read. So when I go on holiday, I like I catch up on the things that I've I've heard about that I've not got round to and things that I read for me, really. Um, so I took a few books. Uh, I read The Last King of California by Jordan Harper, American crime writer. Quite gritty, kind of same area as um sean cosby sa cosby that kind of stuff really enjoyed that um i finally read um janice hallett's book the appeal which i'd never got around to uh which was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it. it's not the kind of thing i'd normally read but it's very well done um and a great beach read actually i read it in a day no problem at all uh, and i've also started reading um one of my uea tutors was a guy called tom ben uh manchester well, he's from Manchester. He lives in Norwich now, obviously. Uh, and to my horror, last year he was named the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year, and I was like, "Wait, wait a minute! He was my tutor." 
years ago. <laughs> How the hell old was I then? But I've, I've discovered that you can be under 35 to be the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year. So he, he was probably in his late 20s when he was my tutor. So that made me feel a bit better. Um, so I'm, I'm reading his book, Oxblood, at the moment, which is set in um, Manchester. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I've been reading loads. Do you know, it's like, that is exactly what I do, though. My holidays are always the books that I've had for so long and never got around to. So like my Barbara Kingsolvers, I've got a big pile of hers that I want to read because she's become one of my favourite authors. So yeah, definitely do that on holiday. You need some time off from it being a job. Yeah, it's like it becomes a schedule, doesn't it? And it's like a bit of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I've still got a box full of other stuff I've got to get yeah. back to. And I have started to say no, which which is hard, but you know, I've got a book to write. Yeah. I've got to do something other than read everybody else's books. And obviously, we're not complaining. It's a nice problem to have. But yeah, yeah, no, it's just, lovely. You, can't, you just realise you can't read everything, and then, like you say, you feel bad that you can't read yeah. everything and support everyone. Yeah, it is difficult. So, can you recommend us a book or an author with a northern connection? Oh yeah. How long have you got? <laughs> um, I've got a. I mean, without naming any books, because there's too many of them, I, I, I'm part of the Northern Crime Syndicate, so I, I can't let it go without mentioning my fellow gang members, um, Rob Scrag, Rob Parker, uh, Judith O'Reilly, or Jude O'Reilly, as they're now rebranding her, Fiona Erskine, Chris McGeorge, Adam Peacock, are all great writers. Um, but probably the, the one I've read more recently, and it's only just out, I think I read it six months ago, I think, but um, it's a book called Speak of the Devil by Rose Wilding, which I thought was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I've just finished it. Oh, it's yeah, great. really good. Yeah. It just blew me away. And it's a debut and, I, you know, she's only young, but she's a Geordie. So I, I, they collared me at Bloody Scotland last year, the editor, and said, will you read this book? I've got this new young Geordie writer. And I was like, well, I've got to really, haven't I? But, <laughs> It was an absolute pleasure. I thought it was terrific. I'm, I really hope it's going to do great. What I really liked about it is how many kind of different issues she got in there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, especially for, for women. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, great book. I still need to share my review. I must get that. Yeah, it's a terrific book. And for a debut, she's got, I don't know how many voices. There's a, at least seven of them, um, which is difficult to master, I think, even when you've been doing it a while. And and for a debut to, to even attempt to do it is pretty brave. And I think she smashed it, frankly. So, yeah, I, that would be my top tip, definitely. And finally, could you please read us an extract from You Can Run? I can. Um, fortunately, I have a prologue and it's quite short. These are the things Ruby knew for sure last week. One. She was born in Newcastle almost 16 years ago. Two, her dad, Alex, is her only family in the entire world. Three, she wouldn't hurt a fly. Four, boys are useless. Five, nothing interesting will ever happen to her while she is stuck in a remote village in the middle of Northumberland. Six, eating meat is the biggest crime imaginable. This is what she knows now. None of those things are true, especially number six.
That's brilliant. Thank you. Could I ask you, did you write the prologue first or did you write the book and then go back and write the prologue? I don't think I wrote it. Sometimes, you know, when you, when these books come out, it was like two years ago when you started writing it. Um, I don't think from memory I wrote it absolutely first, but I think yeah. it was very early. I think I was only a few chapters in and I thought, I know what I'd, I'd quite like here. I'd quite like it. I, I, I got away with all kinds of things here. I've never had a prologue before I got a prologue. I've got a map in the book, which I was delighted with. Although my wife was less delighted because she drew the original map. But she is a good artist and I'm absolutely shocked. My map was like straight lines and words that said tree here, phone book. Um, my wife drew a brilliant map and I sent it to my publishers and they said, oh yeah, we'd love to have a map. We'll get our artist to do something. It's like, oh shit, I've got to tell her now. But yeah, I think I, from memory, I wrote the prologue quite early, but not absolutely right at the start. It wasn't like I sat oh. down and wrote the prologue. Um, I, I think I probably was about five, six chapters in and I thought actually the prologue would work really well here. Uh, and particularly, I think, because the first chapter, first actual chapter is not Ruby's voice, it's her dad. Um, and I wanted Ruby to start the book off. Um, so it worked for that effect as well. And I suppose it's a, it's a bit like a plan. <laughs> it's a little bit. Kind of gives you a few things in there. I kind of knew, although I don't plan, I kind of have an idea of a few things that might happen and some characters who might pop up. Um, and some areas it might go, and but half the time it doesn't go in those areas. Yeah. And I probably went back and edited the prologue a couple of times to kind of make sure it fitted what was going to happen in the book, I think. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun writing as well. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. And, you know, you wish thank, you... Um, it was uh, Charlotte Levin who recommended you guys to me in fact i listened to your podcast with her this morning when i was in the car that was great but yeah she's one of my d20 gang or our d20 gang i should say it's not my gang i don't own um, <laughs> but yeah she's great charlotte i like her a lot yeah it was great talking to her yeah so thank you so much okay pleasure lovely to Take meet you care. And i'll see oh well i'll see you in harrogate you'll see it. thank you so much for listening we now have a Northern Connection page on bookshop.org and there you'll find the books that we uh, talk about in each episode along with books recommended by us and by authors we chat to. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or X at NorthernConPod and we're on Instagram, The Northern Connection. We'll be back soon with another episode. Bye for now.